Father, thank you for the great, amazing things that you are able to do. I thank you that you are sovereign over the universe. And in your greatness and your goodness, you loved us and sent your Son. I ask, Father God, that as we've gathered together in your name this morning, that you would help us, strengthen us. Holy Spirit, transform us by the power of your word, that we'd be more like Jesus. I ask, Father God, that the words this morning would be of you and not of me, that you would give us, Father God, the ability to, to live what we believe. And I ask, Father God, that you be with those that go downstairs this morning, the children's church, that they would be blessed, that the children would be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father God, for this time that we have in fellowship this morning. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Children are excused to go downstairs. <clears throat> it's good to be here this morning. This is another, another Sunday in our Finding Happy series from the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. And it's been, it's been great. There's a lot here. And I know that everybody, everybody that is anybody, wants to be happy. Right? I mean, you, you don't go to anywhere and, and you go, anybody want to be sad and miserable? And, and have three or four people stand up and go, that's my choice. That's right. That's not going to happen. We want to be happy. The problem is that typically we pursue happiness in things that fail to bring us happiness. And we just keep doing that. That's part of, part of our life. Each of the Beatitudes that we've looked at begins with blessed are. Blessed really means happy. But it's not, the, it's not the happiness that's found in the things of the curse. Possessions, position, people, the things found in the evil system of the world. Remember that, that we live in a, in a world that's cursed. We, we look around us and there's all kinds of gorgeous things. There's beautiful things. There's good things, but it's cursed. I was, I was out in the yard this week for a little while and there's an orb spider working really hard to make a web. You know, and they make those really cool webs. They're so neat. And it was, it was, so, it was so cool. He's in there working and... I thought, that's beautiful. And then, then I'm wandering in the yard, and there's, there's columbine blooming. Beautiful. It's all cursed. It's a real downer, right? So Pastor Bill's bringing a downer again. But it's all cursed. And the reason is that it goes back to the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, and the result of their sin was a curse. And that curse extends not just to human beings, but to everything. So what happens is that in our pursuit of happiness, we go after stuff that's actually cursed. The happiness that we really want to find is a contentment, a satisfaction, an inward bliss. And the real happiness that we seek that way has nothing to do with the externals. There's no external circumstances or influences by the world system that can interfere with the blessedness that Jesus is speaking of. 
the happiness of the Beatitudes are not subject to change because of the outward conditions. Anything that's under the curse that we seek to, to provide happiness for us can change in an instant. Most people have experienced and do experience some positive emotions that we would call happiness. You know, we feel happy when things work. We get what we want. Our circumstances are encouraging, and, and people get along with us. But the happiness of the Beatitudes goes far beyond these ideas. The things of the earth, the things of the curse that we want happiness from can change in an instant. In an instant. Being blessed, like we've been talking about in the Beatitudes, is a continual state of well-being. It's a bliss that's found inside of believers. And in these wonderful words from Jesus, he emphasized this inward state. The emphasis is on the inside, not the outside. The first four Beatitudes that we've looked at really are about how we deal with God. It's, it's an inward relationship. It's very God-centered. The next four that we're looking at also deal with how we are with God, but there's a little bit of a new, new thing happening because they also extend out to others and out to the world around us. It, it, they're, they're like fruit being produced from the first four of the Beatitudes. So the Beatitude today is, is chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When Jesus sat down on the hillside and preached, mercy was not a typical characteristic of religion or the society at that time. It just wasn't. It wasn't there. Let's put this into some context. The, the Jews, most of the people who were following Jesus at the time, they were very self-righteous. They were proud, selfish, and judgmental. Most everyone in that society would consider mercy the least of all virtues if they even considered mercy a virtue. The Jews were shallow and, and superficial. They were much more concerned with ritual and outside appearance than on the condition of the soul. Do you remember one of the places how, how Jesus responded to the Jews? This is from Matthew 23, 27. gives us an example of how Jesus responded to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Those are strong words, and they would have been very strong in that culture. The other thing that's going on when Jesus gave this, this message is they're, they're in the Roman culture. And Roman culture didn't approve of mercy in any way. Romans valued justice, and that justice took, took form in revenge, vengeance, and, and a disciplined life. They were consumed with power and strength. That was the Roman way. A Roman and that culture would have considered mercy to be clear evidence of weakness. There were some philosophers in that time period, first century uh, Roman philosophers and, and Greek philosophers, that would write things like this. 
Mercy is a disease of the soul. Evidence of a sick person. That's their view of mercy. In in Roman culture then, a person would be ashamed to be called merciful. That's then, but it's a lot like right now. This is is very much like right now, not, not just like first century. This is like right now. We live in a culture where there doesn't seem to be any mercy. People refuse to forgive. They refuse to be gentle or kind. There's no overlooking a transgression. And lots of energy is is given to vengeance and revenge in the name of justice. Is that not true? I mean, that's, that's what I read. That's what I hear about. We are a society of selfish, vengeful, competitive people who would rather take someone to court than to show mercy. Where this takes us this morning is we need to have a better understanding of the importance of mercy. What I discovered in pursuing this is there's no way to cover all of what the Bible teaches about mercy in one sermon. I begin studying this, and and it's a crucial concept. There's no way to put it all together into one sermon. I could keep you here until... 9, 30, 10 o'clock tonight, and we still wouldn't get it all. This crucial concept, mercy, is found in Genesis, and then it's woven through all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. You're going to find this idea of mercy. It's just there. It's huge. Mercy, as I study this, is also very misunderstood. It's been misunderstood within the church. Many think mercy, and this is is people in the church and outside the church who think this way. Mercy is something we do to get mercy in return. We're going to show mercy so I get mercy. One writer puts it this way, if people see us care, then then, then they will care for us. And that's, that's... Easy to see why we come to that conclusion, because that seems to be what verse 7 says. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. So isn't that what it says? We're going to find out it's a little different. There are some who understand merciful as, as nothing more than a way to get others to make us happy. To have others... If I show somebody mercy, they're going to help me be prosperous and popular. But mercy, the mercy that Jesus is speaking about is not some kind of tool to manipulate others to treat us well. That's not what he's talking about. And we know perfectly that that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because our self-centered mercy is not what Jesus was meaning because of how he lived. Jesus was the most merciful person who ever lived. And he did not receive mercy in return. So there's not a greater picture, there's not a greater example of mercy that we can find in all of humanity than Jesus. And Jesus didn't receive mercy. He was merciful to the sick. He was merciful to the crippled and the blind. He was merciful to the poor and the outcast and the prostitutes and the wretched and unloved in that culture. 
He showed this kind of mercy. He showed it on one occasion to a grieving mother at her son's funeral. There's a funeral procession, and he stops the procession, and he brings the young man back to life. I wonder how Ross Gorman would handle that. I love Ross. Jesus showed mercy. He was merciful to a prostitute, a harlot, who was condemned because of her adultery. Caught in the act. But Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's mercy. He befriended tax collectors. They're the most hated in that society. People hated tax collectors. And he showed them mercy. Jesus was the most merciful human ever. And how was his mercy repaid? His mercy was repaid with an incredibly severe beating. His flesh was ripped open with great violence. His tremendous lifestyle of mercy was repaid by nakedness, nails, and the cross, a public execution. Jesus didn't receive mercy from the people he chose to show mercy. Think of the people in Jerusalem. Jesus is showing them mercy That's his lifestyle. He's shown them mercy all the time. And then they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. So what does this beatitude really mean? What does it mean to be merciful and receive mercy? And the answer is is far beyond what we usually think because it's so much greater than our human, selfish view of mercy The mercy Jesus is speaking of finds its substance in a relationship with God. This is all about a relationship with God. This fits in with all of the other things we've been looking at in the Beatitudes. Because the poor in spirit who know the depth of their sin, those who mourn because of the condition of their wretched hearts, those who are meek and and lean continually on Jesus because they have no strength of their own, those who hunger and and thirst for God's righteousness, they know what it means to receive mercy. There's a righteousness that's only found in Jesus by looking at ourselves honestly. So being merciful is is all about the kingdom of God, not about our, our pitiful, selfish kingdoms. This is about the kingdom of God. Let's get more specific. To be merciful is to be sympathetic. So that's one one word we can use to help us understand it. This is real sympathy. Not sympathy dredged up in our sinful nature, in our selfish minds. Mercy is, is to give to the needy, give to the poor, give to the unwanted. There's a an equivalent word, because like I told you, that you can find this idea of mercy throughout Old Testament, New Testament, all, uh, the entire Bible. So the equivalent word in the Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word. It's a very difficult word to translate into English. It's just, you're not going to go this word and you get mercy. It doesn't work that way. You just can't go there. So the best 
they can do in translating the word from Hebrew is, is two words. Loving kindness. That phrase, loving kindness. If you go through your Old Testament, you will find that phrase, those two words together, repeated over and over and over. Loving kindness. That's the same idea. And behind all of that, especially when you dig into the Hebrew, you find that this loving kindness combines two things. It combines motive and action. They have to go together. That's, that's the concept behind this idea of mercy. So the mercy that Jesus is speaking of is similar to our term empathy, which is really understanding the pain of a person who is hurting or suffering, really getting into to where they're at. Mercy is deliberate action towards a person to relieve their suffering and pain. But that deliberate action is not motivated by, what am I going to get? I want us to dig a little deeper into this. Think this through, because this is the example that should teach us what this really means if we're going to be blessed because we're merciful. When Jesus came into the world, he took on human form. And he took on human form to suffer all the things that we suffer. He experienced the pain and anguish of sinful humanity, only he never sinned. He never sinned, but he fully understood and understands our pain, our hurt, our struggles. He understands them, and he sympathizes with us. And in that sympathy, he became a merciful Savior. So where this takes us then in understanding mercy that Jesus is speaking of is, here's a place that will help us to understand. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what we're seeing in that verse is God's mercy led to God's forgiveness. So mercy and forgiveness are connected. This isn't something that's just New Testament. This isn't just Paul. Daniel spoke of this. Daniel 9.9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. They go together. Mercy mercy is God withholding judgment. But He withholds judgment because He has forgiven our sins. Mercy is is also connected to more than than just forgiveness. And and so we're going to look at some other ways that it's connected to some other concepts. These all blend together. Mercy is connected to forgiveness, but it is also connected to to love. We just saw that in Ephesians chapter 2. Because of the great love which he loved us, right? God being rich in mercy because of his love. So love is connected. Mercy begins with love. 
Out of, the, out of love, mercy is shown and forgiveness is given. So love and mercy actually go beyond sympathy and, and empathy. Mercy is, is love in action toward a, a person in need. This is the real action of, of meeting tangible needs, not just indulging in the self-flattery of false mercy to soften our conscience by giving a name. You know, a lot of times that's what we do. We see a, a child starving to death and, and there's something that happens inside of us and it's our conscience and we, we feel guilty that there's a child somewhere starving to death, so we send money. And we send money because we want to feel better about who we are. Not because we really care whether they live or die. We want to feel better about who we are. That's not the kind of mercy that God's speaking of. That's not the sympathy that Jesus is speaking of. Mercy is genuine compassion. Seeing a hungry person and giving them food. Loving a person who is starved of love. I, I saw this so many times in, in India, and, and I know I bring India up a lot, but there are so many lessons when you go to a different culture, especially one where, where there's real poverty. And we might drive around our country in the United States and go, oh, look at that, there's poor people. They aren't even close. They are wealthy compared to many people in the world. We don't understand poverty like we should. So I'm, I remember a time, it was a, it was a cr crusade, it was a, a nighttime crusade. We drove for hours. It's a miracle we even got there. <laughs> and it's dark. We set up all the lights. People start showing up. There's hundreds and hundreds of people coming. And there's music played. And there's a few words spoken and there's, there's all this stuff going on. And I, I was the speaker that night, and before I spoke, what we would do typically at a crusade like that is, is you meet needs. And you're meeting needs in this way that I'm describing. These are real, tangible needs. And we're not doing this to make us feel better. We're doing it because we want these people to know that God loves them. So we would pass out articles of clothing and rice. And this, this particular evening, we, we were giving out clothes, and, and there's people, and they're just weeping, and they're coming, and they're getting, they're getting a, an outfit of clothing. And s some people would come, and, and it, they'd get a little, little container of rice. And I remember at one of the, these events, I was passing out saris, traditional Indian dress for a woman, and I took this, and it's brand new. It's in a package. It's never been worn. It's brand new. And I give it to this elderly woman. She's probably at least in her 60s. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> this is the first time in her entire life she's ever had a brand new article of clothing. First time. And she's just weeping. Does that make me feel good? No. It's so that she knows that God loves her. So that she, she, she's open to the gospel. This is showing mercy. What does she need? She needs to be cared for. We did this in, in villages where 
where every child, there's, there's one village in particular, it just grieves my heart so much to think about it because you go into this village and every single child, every single child has the descended, the, the distended belly of malnutrition. Every one of them. There isn't enough to eat. And their water is absolutely horrible. It's just like poison. It's just, you can't believe that people are living this way. And we went in there and we, we took them rice. Some of those were, people were eating a good meal for the first time. We gave them rice and clothing. And then you present the gospel. 20, 30 people come to Christ. Boom, 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 boom. What's our motivation? So they come to Christ? Well, yeah. But we're showing them mercy the kind of mercy that Jesus is speaking of. It's genuine compassion. It's seeing people who are hurting so bad that you're willing to, 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 to go help them tangibly. Being a companion to the lonely. How many lonely people do we have in our society? Mercy is meeting a need, not just feeling like, well, there's a need. You meet the need. Mercy is also connected to grace, then. Mercy, mercy deals with the pain, distress, suffering, which are the result of sin. God, God gives grace, and we're no longer guilty. Grace takes care of the sin. But, but God gives mercy, and we're delivered from the punishment that were due our sin. Mercy and grace are, are different, but they can't be separated. Mercy is connected with forgiveness, love and grace. And with all of those together, you know, you've got, you've got love, and, and God's love is producing this, this grace and this mercy. The reality is, if we were given what we deserve, there would be no mercy, only judgment. James says this in, in chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is saying, if you show mercy, you won't be judged. Now, in a sense, we're all going to be judged. I, I understand that. But in this context, those without mercy, J James is speaking of unbelievers. Because a life that shows the fruit of mercy is a life reflecting the nature of God. So if you are showing mercy, you are demonstrating that you belong to Jesus Christ. When the believer comes before the judgment seat of God and their life has been one of mercy to others, God will show mercy to the believer because their mercy testifies. It's an example. It's something that's seen of saving faith. It's a fruit. It's It's tangible. I want us to be real careful that we do not underestimate the importance of showing mercy. And I want us to also understand that mercy is not how we get saved. Showing mercy is not going to provide you an entrance into heaven. The person that is merciful is willing to give. 
Showing mercy is also not going to be something that will remove difficulty from your life. The example of Jesus. In showing mercy, very often believers are persecuted. It doesn't fit into our society. The merciful are quick to forgive. That goes against everything that we see. The merciful are sympathetic to the afflicted, compassionate to the weak, generous to the poor, gracious to those who don't deserve grace. That includes everyone. This is the life of God working through you, the power of God's mercy on display in your everyday living. This is God in us. This mercy comes from God. He's the source. The merciful that Jesus is speaking of realize the poverty of their spirit. They mourn because of their sinfulness. They meekly come to God knowing they have nothing. They live starved for God's thirst at God and thirst for righteousness. I kind of alluded to him earlier. The, remember the tax collector that we've talked about? He's standing in the temple and Jesus notices him. And the prayer of the tax collector is, Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. And Jesus said that that man went away justified. In his brokenness, he could then be merciful because God had granted him mercy. Many people mistake some things. They, they want Jesus to fix their lives. Now I'll come to Jesus because I want, I want Jesus to fix my life, heal my marriage, correct all my kids, heal their bodies, and have God give them a better life. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't we all want that? God, give me a better life. Make me six feet tall. It doesn't work that way. We can ask God to help us in a variety of different ways. And, and many of those aren't they're not bad things. They're fine things. But many people never truly come to Christ because they mistake this concept of mercy and grace. Because they don't want to do the heart work. They're not willing to do the hard work, the heart work, to cry out for mercy. And they are unwilling to yield to God. What they want is the blessing. They want the happiness. They want that contentment, but they want to do that without a transformed heart, without doing the hard work that's necessary to be able to yield to God and say, I am a sinner. I need it from you. What they want is fire insurance, not a new heart. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that we have received mercy. And because we have received mercy, we should be showing mercy because of who we are in Christ. When we came to Christ, we didn't become deserving. So you didn't come to Christ and all of a sudden, you deserve it. You're deserving. You're good. You're great. I know that when we come to Christ... We receive His righteousness and we are justified before God. But we're still undeserving. How do I know that we're still undeserving? Because we still struggle with our sin. 
We struggle with our sin and there is nothing we can do that is great enough in our life in this time to measure up to God's standards. No one here can measure up to God's perfection. None of us can. So we still need God's mercy. We desperately need God's mercy. Those who have received and continue to receive God's mercy, because that's where we're at and we recognize that's where we're at, we need to show mercy to sinners, those who are outside of Christ, by proclaiming the gospel, living the truth, living the indwelling presence of God. We show the unsaved mercy because we understand, we sympathize, we have empathy for those who are without Christ. We show those without Christ mercy because they, if they don't come to Christ, they're going to spend all of eternity in hell, separated from God. Is that what you want? That's terrible. So our mercy is show them Christ. Telling people about Jesus and God's plan of salvation is the greatest way we can show mercy. It's the greatest way. And that also shows the world around us that Christ lives within us. It's a reflection of who's, who's residing within the believer. This idea of scriptural mercy then is, is phenomenal. It is so awesome. I want us to also understand that salvation, your salvation, being saved, is not obtained by showing mercy. You can't earn mercy. But you can show mercy because you're saved. You can show mercy because God loved you, forgave you, and shows you mercy. That's what Christ's point is. Receiving mercy is God giving you what you don't deserve. It's similar to grace. I'm going to finish with what Peter states in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You want to find happy? Give away Jesus. Be merciful. Be merciful like your Savior Jesus Christ. Find happy. Be merciful. Father, I thank you that you loved us You forgave us simply by your grace. And by doing those things, you have also shown us mercy. Such mercy. Great mercy. I ask, Father God, that you'd help us as your people to be known, seen, and understood as a people of mercy. Holy Spirit, stir us up in such a way that we remember our condition, that we are sinners desperately in need of God's mercy. Give us hearts of compassion, sympathy, and empathy, that we we see others who are hurting and 
separated from you. And we want to help them and meet their need. And the greatest need is that they would know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Use us, Father. Take us from this place and use us to show mercy. And all of that mercy, mercy given, is so that you would receive glory, be glorified in what we do and say. In Christ's name, amen.